I think you've smelled this already, Mitch, but <laughs> I have a bag right here, and I would just encourage uh, your audience to imagine that I'm sticking my nose in that bag, and it just smells wonderful. And this is nothing but diverted human urine, water, and uh, sawdust. That's all it is. From NCPR, this is Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support of the Northwards podcast comes from Joe Steiniger and Mary McDonald. In support of the Adirondack Foundation, building stronger Adirondack communities. Spring is here, and even though it will be a while before all the snow has melted, it will be composting season before you know it. I had great plans to feed my backyard composter throughout the winter, but I gave them up just as soon as that backyard composter was covered by a backyard snowbank. Recently, though, I had the chance to sit with three people who are setting out to change the year-round composting landscape of the Adirondacks, and maybe someday the entire state of New York. John Culpepper, his daughter Katie Culpepper, plus Katie's young baby, and Jennifer Perry invited me to join them on John's backyard deck last fall as he recovered from knee surgery. They are not your average composters. They are the founders of the J-based organization Compost for Good. And I wanted to hear the story of how the organization got started and their efforts to create both community and compost at the same time. We still don't even really remember how we met. We think it might have been at a clean energy conference. And I was working at the Adirondack North Country Association, or ANCA, at the time in the clean energy program. And we had a grant through NYSERDA that would fund some projects that were in line with a sustainability plan that we had just helped write in the region. And so at, in that process, we John had attended several of the working groups that were part of the planning process. And we had heard about his idea of uh, he has been composting at North Country School Camp Treetops for many, many years um, in open piles and had an idea to containerize the process uh, through a drum composter, um, looked at some on the market, and they were extremely expensive. And so he thought, well, we can design and build one ourselves. Because I'm brilliant, right? Cheap <laughs> <laughs> <Cheap-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-y-
a fiscal sponsor in 80k action um, came up with the name compost for good this is the cliff note version <laughs> found some grants and, and that brings us to today but um yeah i guess the the, the question i have uh that might get you into it is like the the principle of composting it's not it's not a new thing and so like what was the what was the value add that you brought to it that hadn't really been done before at least had been done here before Sure, that's a great question. Organic matter wants to decompose no matter what, um, and it will do so in just about every any kind of environment. If you want to produce really high-quality compost, you've got to manage the environmental conditions that are right for the microbial life that do the, that work. And it's hard to do that the management of that in an open pile system um, you've got to be on it all the time. It's much, much easier to do that in an enclosed environment. And so the, uh, the value add that I brought was to reduce the, the upfront cost of these drum composters. These drum composters are, they, they are amazing at optimizing the environmental conditions for the microbes. And what I plan to do initially before Jen and I connected was to, to get North Country School to purchase one. But good grief, they were $175,000, $200,000. And I thought, huh, I think I can build one with a material cost of $15,000. So um, we put our heads together to figure out a, a way to, um, to build this thing for $15,000. We, we didn't have a clue whether we could actually do it or not. And Greg LeClaire was really the, the brains behind this. Greg has uh, unfortunately passed, has passed on, um, but he and I became uh, quite close with him doing a lot of contracting work at North Country School. And he agreed to take this on because he was just a curious man and a talented man. And so he would keep coming up with ideas and I'd say, nope, too complicated. You have to simplify it. Finally, we got it to a point where it was simple enough to put together. He put it together. We smoke tested it at the North Country School uh, campus, and it's been running continuously for over six years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the goal now, my goal, is to get it down to a point where there's no welding involved, and it's even simpler to put together, therefore even less expensive to build. And can I, the, I think the value add of compost for good is not necessarily that we came up with a brilliant way of composting, but it is, was the desire to make that available to, to others. Exactly. Um, the design being open and available to anyone who was interested, our desire to really put ourselves out there to start connecting people with each other to um, the information, to grant opportunities. I think that's really the where we find ourselves is not that we're necessarily coming up with new novel ideas, although there are some things that, you know, he's so nerdy and brilliant that they just, they just come. But. Is, that, is that an opportunity for me to talk about uh, urine composting? Sure. <laughs> I'm sure we will get to we'll, urine we'll composting there, here yeah. in a minute. But, but I think that's the, that's the um, kind of magic of compost for good is, is not the, that we're creating the methods, but we're trying to connect people to the technology, um, the information, the inspiration, etc., to get into community scale composting. And by the way, there are, there are a lot of different ways to compost, some very, very simple ways. We support all those systems. 
but at a community scale where you're processing 50 to 75,000 to 100,000 pounds of feedstock per year, you've got to have a well-controlled, well-managed system. And that's what this provides. Give us a sense, uh, you know, for people who, you know, might be used to a backyard composter, how big is this drum composter that you're talking about? Well, there are a lot of different iterations. The one that we first came up with is four foot in diameter by 20 feet long. It is nothing more than a highway culvert made out of polyethylene. That's exactly what it is. Uh, Jen and her partner came up with a five foot diameter, 20 foot long composter that is really quite amazing. It will accommodate over 50% more than a four foot diameter. So we're talking about a lot of material that these things can compost. Talk about why it's a good fit with an overall organization like Adirondack Action, because I'm not sure people necessarily think of composting in terms of social justice or where it fits in society. I'm really glad you asked that question because we're about much more than just upcycling organic material. It really fits into the food system. Um, Katie, you can elaborate, Jen, uh, you can as well, but, but we're at the nexus of soil fertility, of carbon sequestration, of increasing the nutrient com, uh, content of foods, of making foods uh, less expensive to grow, uh, helping farmers to reduce their input costs. Um, so we're, we're doing way more than simply composting uh, materials. What is really hot right now is talking about food systems, local food systems, food sovereignty, equity, and what's often left out of that is composting, is what happens at the end of that process. And if you're not composting, then it's a broken system. Um, it continues to perpetuate this linear, not connected loop. And when you bring in composting, then all of a sudden you have this closed system, this interconnected network of farmers and producers and consumers and cooks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all working together to build a really robust, resilient local food system. So the ADK Action um, has a community garden, which we are actually helping support. They want to, at some point, get a composting system established there that meets their scale and their needs, their community. So we've been working with them on that level anyway, but they're not quite there yet. So um, the, they, it's a community garden. They have volunteers from the community that work on that, that benefit from the produce that gets grown there. But they didn't really have a way to improve their fertility, so it happens that the, we made a connection that happens to be my business but it just it did that was just serendipitous because I happened to be in that area and I delivered compost to them uh, earlier this week they had a work party they incorporated the compost into the community garden and that that was a that was a link that wasn't there and the compost that I brought there used food scraps from the Plattsburgh area spent brewery mash organic chicken poop all all materials that would otherwise end up in a landfill so it really was that missing like we talk about the circular economy a lot, and it, it's not a circle without composting. I was, I was, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to ask whether, like, whether you're working against some misconceptions about composting all the while you're doing this work. I think maybe you're right. Um, I think people do have a 
when they think about composting, they don't really think about all the other interactions. But, but the reality is the, the world's soils have been losing organic matter and nutrients for ever since we started commercially farming them. And there is this enormous need to improve our, our soils. There are billions and billions of pounds just in this area of organics that are now going into the landfill. I suspect that in 20, 30, 40 years, we'll look back and we'll think, what were we thinking back then? Another thing that we're doing is we're trying to help people understand that in the process of upcycling all of these organics, there's jobs to be created, there's soil fertility that's being built, there's carbon that we can directly pull out of the atmosphere as a result of better soils. It just goes on and on. I feel like this is the time that I should be asking you about uh, about urine composting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you would never ask. It turns out that there are a lot of things out there. We call them feedstocks, uh, for lack of a better term. Feedstocks are anything that contain carbon that can be composted and that can produce the billions and billions of beneficial soil microbes that can improve the health of soils. Um, be that roadkill, um, animal carcasses. We have a, a woman who operates a taxidermy shop right around the corner here and she's looking for a way to take those carcasses and recycle them. There's also things that we just don't tend to think about. Pets. By my calculation, there are 14 billion pounds of just dogs and cats in the United States. 14 billion pounds of feedstock. Now, that's not how we think about our dogs and cats, but some of us would like to think that there's a way to respectfully upcycle their bodies into something that benefits our yards or gardens or, or whatever. Same is true for people. And so diverted human urine is just another one of those feedstocks. It turns out that about 85% of the nutrients, the plant nutrients that we excrete are in the form of, of urine. And urine is really easy to capture. It's exceptionally easy to run it through a high temperature composting regimen to produce beautiful compost. And I. I think you've smelled this already, Mitch, but I have a bag right here, and I would just encourage uh, your audience to imagine that I'm sticking my nose in that bag, and it just smells wonderful. And this is nothing but diverted human urine, water, and uh, sawdust. That's all it is. Uh, the temperature has gotten up to 145 degrees for enough days to kill any potential human pathogen. It also has been demonstrated that the pharmaceuticals that we consume that normally are not treated at conventional wastewater treatment plants can be broken down at these temperatures. So we think that this is enormously exciting, uh, but just one more kind of feedstock to think about. Well, so then I have to, I guess I have to ask, you're driving through the Adirondacks and you need to use the bathroom. You stop. <laughs> you stop at a Stewart's. Does a, a a little part of your soul die when you have to use the the regular bathroom at Stewart's? Um, well, John, no, it, my, yes. mine does. But but here's my prediction. Uh, portable. Before too long, we already have urine diverting toilets. You you go on any interstate, and at least in the men's room, 
you can use a waterless urinal. Unfortunately, that urine then gets mixed with regular waste stream, but it could so easily be diverted, captured in a tank, and then processed. Other countries are beginning to do this at scale, and I predict that it won't be too long before that'll be a thing that, oh yeah, that's just what we do. And we John has a portable. John, <laughs> yeah, doesn't he travels. Break his heart. <laughs> okay, that's that's too too much information. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yes, it does. It it is. Um, it feels silly. It feels silly that there aren't those options. And I think it's a different level of management. But all the porta potties that are now out at all the trailheads, what a cool opportunity for those to transition to urine diverting toilets or you know at festivals or all again in other countries and in other regions they're they're really rolling these out for um, both men and women for both men and women and we're looking towards a grant to look into what it would take to to come up with a community scale um, drum composter to show that this is viable that this is um, economical that this is exciting that this isn't weird <laughs> so if anyone has a uh, a lot of money that they want to throw to that, great, uh, but also just if anyone's interested, um, you can learn more from John anytime. It's an eye-opener in so many ways. Thanks to all three of you uh, for sharing the story of Compost for Good. Absolutely. You are welcome. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, thank you. Jen Perry, John Culpepper, and Katie Culpepper make up the J-based organization Compost for Good. You can find a link to more about the group and see a photo of John Culpepper with a bag of, yes, urine-based compost at ncpr.org slash northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Northwards. You can catch new interviews every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts and learn more about North Country Public Radio's shows at ncpr.org. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The program is written, recorded, and edited by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Music by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.